Chapter Seven, Part Two of Nana by Emile Zola, translated by Burton Roscoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seven, Part Two. She pressed him with questions, asking everything, insisting on having details, and she laughed so heartily with such sudden outbursts as made her roll about in her nightdress, which one moment slipped from her shoulders and the next curled itself up under her and displayed her skin shining like gold in front of the blazing fire that the count little by little gave her the history of his wedding night he no longer felt any repugnance and ended by thinking it great fun to explain he merely chose his words through a remnant of shame the young woman very excited questioned him about the countess she was beautifully made but a regular icicle so he pretended oh you've no cause for jealousy he despicably murmured nana had left off laughing and had resumed her seat her back to the fire and her chin resting on her knees round which she had clasped her hands my dear fellow it's the greatest mistake out for a man to appear a ninny to his wife on the first night declared she in a grave tone of voice why asked the count in surprise because replied she slowly like a professor she was lecturing she wagged her head however she deigned to explain herself you see i know all about it well my boy women don't like simpletons they say nothing on account of their modesty you know but you may be quite sure they think a great deal and sooner or later when they haven't had what they expected they seek for it elsewhere there now you know as much as i do he did not seem to understand so she was more circumstantial she became quite maternal and gave him this lesson in a friendly way out of the kindness of her heart ever since she had heard that he was a cuckold the knowledge of this circumstance worried her she had a hankering to discuss the matter with him well really i've been talking of things that don't concern me what i say is simply because i want every one to be happy we're merely having a chat aren't we come now you must answer me truly but she interrupted herself to change her position the fire was so fierce by jove isn't it hot my back's quite cooked wait a moment i'll cook my stomach a bit now it's good for the spasms and when she had turned herself round with her legs doubled under her she resumed you and your wife don't occupy the same room do you no i assure you replied mifa afraid not to answer and you think that she's a regular stick he affirmatively bowed his head and that's why you come to me answer me i shan't be angry he bowed his head again very well concluded she i thought as much ah poor fellow you know my aunt madame Nara. next time she comes get her to tell you the story of the green grocer who lives in her street just fancy the green grocer dread it the fire is hot i must turn round again i'll cook my left side this time as she presented her hip to the flames a funny idea seized hold of her and she joked herself in a jolly sort of way delighted at seeing how plump and rosy she looked in the reflection of the fire i say i'm just like a goose yes that's it a goose roasting i turn i turn really i'm cooking in my own juice again she laughed aloud when suddenly there was a sound of voices and of closing doors mifa surprised interrogated her with a look she at once became serious and there was an anxious expression on her face 
it was no doubt zoe's cat a confounded beast that was always breaking everything half-past twelve whatever had she been thinking of wasting her time in working for her cuckold's happiness now that the other one was there she must get rid of him and quickly too what were you saying asked the count complacently delighted at finding her so amiable but in her desire to send him off her humour quickly changed she was coarse and no longer minster words ah uh, yes the greengrocer and his wife well my boy they never got on together not a bit she you know expected all sorts of things but he was a ninny and so it went on till it ended like this he thinking her a stick went with a lot of strumpets and got more than he bargained for whilst she on her side consoled herself with some fellows who knew a trifle more than her simpleton of a husband and it always ends like that when you don't understand each other i know it does Mufa paled understanding at last her allusions and wished to make her leave off but she intended to have her say no hold your row if you were not all a set of fools you would be just as nice with your wives as you are with us and if your wives were not a lot of geese they would take the same trouble to keep you to themselves that we take to hook you but you all give yourself such confounded airs there my boy put that in your pipe and smoke it do not talk about respectable women said he severely you do not know anything about them on hearing this nana rose on her knees i don't know anything about them but they're not even clean your respectable women no they're not even clean i defy you to find one who would dare to show herself as i am here really you make me laugh with your respectable women don't drive me too hard don't force me to say things that i should regret afterwards for sole rejoinder the count muttered a foul word between his teeth nana in her turn became deadly pale she looked at him for a few seconds without speaking then in a clear voice she asked what would you do if your wife deceived you he made a menacing gesture well and i supposing i deceived you oh you he murmured shrugging his shoulders nana was certainly not unfeeling ever since the first word she had been resisting a desire to tell him of his cuckoldom to his face she would have liked to have confessed to him quietly but he exasperated her she must put an end to it therefore my boy she resumed i don't know what the devil you're doing here you've done nothing but pester me for the last two hours so go and join your wife who's consoling herself with faucherie yes i know what i'm saying in the rue Thébault, at the corner of the rue de provence i give you the address you see then seeing Mufa rise on his feet staggering like an ox that had just received a stunning blow she added triumphantly ah they're getting on well your respectable women they even interfere with us now and take our lovers but she was unable to continue in a terrible passion he threw her full length on the floor and raising his heel was about to crush her face to silence her for the moment she had an awful fright but he blinded and as though mad left her and rushed helplessly about the room then the choking silence he maintained the sight of the internal struggle which shook his frame brought tears to her eyes she felt a mortal regret and curling herself up before the fire so as to cook her right side she undertook to console him i assure you darling i thought you knew of it otherwise i certainly would not have spoken then after all perhaps it isn't true 
i'm not sure of anything i merely heard it people talk about it but that proves nothing does it ah really now you're very stupid to be put out about it if i was a man i wouldn't care a tinker's curse for any woman women my boy high or low are all the same all loose fish it's six of one and half a dozen of the other she went in for abusing women in general so as to make the blow less hard to bear but he did not listen to her he did not hear her while stamping about he had somehow or other managed to get on his boots and his overcoat for a moment longer he wandered about the room then with a last rush as though he had only just discovered the door he disappeared nana felt very much put out well ta-ta she continued aloud though all alone he's polite he is when he's being spoken to and i who was sweating away to make it up again with him anyhow i was the first to hold out my hand i made quite enough excuses i think besides he shouldn't have stopped here annoying me however she remained displeased with herself scratching her legs with both hands but she at length muttered consolingly oh dash it it isn't my fault that he's a cuckold and roasted on all sides as hot as a quail just removed from the spit she jumped into bed after ringing for zoe to usher in the other one who was waiting in the kitchen outside mifa continued to hurry on another shower had just fallen he slipped along the greasy pavement as he mechanically looked up in the air he saw large black clouds floating rapidly across the moon at that hour the boulevard houseman was almost deserted he passed the scaffoldings of the new opera house keeping in the shadow and stammering disconnected sentences the girl lied she had cruelly invented that to annoy him he ought to have crushed her head when he had it beneath his heel it was too shameful he would never touch her nor see her again if he did he would indeed be a cur and he drew a long breath of relief at his deliverance ah that stupid naked monster cooking like a goose drivelling about all that he had respected for forty years past the clouds had cleared away from the moon which now lighted up the empty street he was seized with fear and burst into sobs suddenly giving way to despair as though he had been precipitated into illimitable space oh heaven he stammered all is over there is nothing more along the boulevards a few belated pedestrians were hurrying home the count tried to compose himself the girl's story kept perplexing his heated brain he wished to examine it calmly that very morning the countess was to return from madame de chazelle's chateau there was nothing to have prevented her returning on the previous evening and passing the night with that man he now recalled certain things that had occurred during their stay at les fondettes one night he had found sabine wandering about among the trees and she was so agitated that for some time she was unable to answer him that man was there then why should she not be with him now the more he thought of it the more it seemed to him possible he ended by thinking it only natural and even inevitable whilst he had been taking off his coat at a harlot's his wife had been disrobing herself in a lover's bedchamber there was nothing more simple or more logical and as he reasoned thus he forced himself to keep cool he experienced the sensation of a fall into the follies of the flesh which spreading and gaining on him swept the world away from around him phantoms created by his heated imagination pursued him nana undressed abruptly evoked sabine undressed also 
at this vision which gave the two women a like parentage of wantonness and the same inordinate desires he stumbled a cab passing along the road nearly crushed him some women coming out of a cafe pushed up against him laughing coarsely then again giving way to tears in spite of his efforts and not wishing to sob aloud before the passers-by he turned down a dark empty street the rue rossini where he cried like a child as he moved past the silent houses all is over he kept saying in a hollow voice there is nothing more nothing more his tears so mastered him that he leant against a door burying his wet face in his hands a sound of footsteps chased him away he felt such shame and such fear that he fled from every one with the cautious tread of a night prowler whenever anybody passed him on the pavement he tried to assume a careless gait as though he imagined that his history could be read in the movement of his shoulders he had turned down the rue de la grande batelière and reached the faubourg montmartre but the bright lights caused him to retrace his footsteps and for close upon an hour he wandered thus about the neighbourhood choosing always the darkest turnings he had no doubt a goal to which his feet instinctively conducted him patiently and by a most circuitous road at length at the turn of a street he raised his eyes he had arrived it was the corner of the rue Thébault and of the rue de provence he had in the painful disorder of his brain taken an hour to reach it while he might have done so in five minutes one morning in the previous month he recollected having called on faucherie to thank him for having mentioned his name in the description of a ball at the tuileries the apartment was on the first floor with little square windows half hidden by the colossal signboard of the shop the last window on the left was divided by a streak of brilliant light the ray of a lamp passing between the partly closed curtains and with his eyes fixed on that bright line he stood absorbed awaiting something the moon had disappeared in an inky sky from which a drizzling icy rain fell two o'clock struck at the church of the trinity the rue de provence and the rue Thébault, with their lighted gas lamps disappeared in the distance in a yellow vapour Mufa did not stir that was the room he recollected it well hung in crimson and with a louis the thirteenth bedstead at the back of the apartment the lamp was probably to the right on the mantelpiece no doubt they were in bed for not a shadow passed the immovable line of light and he still watching arranged a plan he would ring and hastening upstairs in spite of the doorkeeper would burst into the room and fall upon them in bed without even giving them time to disengage their arms the knowledge that he had no weapon arrested him for a moment then he decided that he would strangle them he turned his plan over in his head he perfected it always awaiting something some sign to make him certain had the shadow of a woman's form appeared in that moment he would have rung the bell but the thought that he was perhaps mistaken froze him what would he be able to say his doubts returned to him his wife could not be with that man the idea was monstrous and impossible but still he stayed on overcome by degrees by numbness succumbing to weakness in that long vigil to which the fixity of his look imparted a sense of hallucination the shower increased two police officers drew near and he was obliged to leave the doorpost against which he had sought shelter when they had disappeared down the rue de provence he returned wet and shivering the bright line still showed across the window this time he was going away when a shadow passed the movement was so rapid that he thought he might be mistaken but one after another other shadows passed and there seemed quite a commotion in the room 
riveted again to the pavement opposite he experienced an insupportable sensation of burning in the stomach profiles or arms and legs came and went an enormous hand bearing the silhouette of a water-can glided by he distinguished nothing clearly yet he thought he recognized a woman's head of hair and he argued within himself it was like sabine's headdress only the back of the neck seemed broader than hers but at that hour he was incapable of determining he could not tell his stomach caused him so much suffering that he pressed up against a door like a shivering outcast to obtain relief in the agony of this frightful uncertainty then as in spite of all he could not take his eyes from off that window his anger melted into the imagination of a moralist he saw himself a deputy he was speaking in the chamber inveighing against debauchery prophesying catastrophes and he repeated the arguments in faucherie's article on the poisonous fly and declared that society could no longer exist with the manners and customs of the second empire this did him some good the shadows had now disappeared no doubt they had gone back to bed he ever on the watch still waited three o'clock struck then four o'clock he could not tear himself away each time a shower came down he squeezed up against the doorpost the rain beating on his legs no one passed by now occasionally his eyes closed as though burnt by the ray of light on which with obstinate folly he persistently fixed them twice again did the shadows reappear going through the same movements carrying the same gigantic water-can and each time afterwards all became still as before whilst the lamp continued to glimmer discreetly these shadows increased his doubts besides a sudden idea had just appeased him in deferring the hour of action he had merely to wait till the woman came out he would easily recognize sabine nothing could be simpler there would be no scandal and he would no longer be in doubt all he had to do was to remain there of all the confused feelings that had hitherto agitated him he no longer experienced anything but a morbid desire to know having nothing to do however standing up against that door soon made him feel drowsy to keep himself awake he tried to calculate the time it would be necessary for him to wait sabine was to arrive at the station at about nine o'clock that gave him almost four and a half hours he was full of patience he would never have moved again finding a charm in fancying that his night vigil would be an eternal one suddenly the ray of light disappeared this very simple occurrence was an unexpected catastrophe for him something disagreeable and annoying they had evidently turned out the lamp and were going to sleep at such an hour it was only natural but he felt irritated because that window being now in darkness no longer interested him he watched it for a quarter of an hour longer then it tired him so he left the doorway and took a few steps along the pavement until five o'clock he walked to and fro occasionally raising his eyes the window remained in the same dormant state and at times he would ask himself whether he had not dreamed that he had seen shadows cross those panes a great fatigue overwhelmed him which made him forget what he was waiting for at that street corner stumbling over the paving stones awaking with starts and the cold shiver of a man who no longer knows where he is what was the good of his bothering himself about the matter as the people had gone to sleep all he had to do was to leave them in peace why should he mix himself up in their affairs it was very dark no one would know of his having waited there and then all feeling in him even his curiosity fled 
carried away in a desire to have done with it all and to seek some solace elsewhere the cold increased the street became unbearable twice he moved away then returned slowly but only to move away again farther off it was over there was nothing more he went in the direction of the boulevards and did not return he wandered silently through the streets he walked slowly always with the same step and keeping close to the wall his heels resounded on the pavement he beheld nothing but his shadow which turned at each lamp-post becoming larger and smaller that amused him mechanically occupying him afterwards he would never recall through what streets he had gone he seemed to have dragged himself along for hours in a circle one single recollection remained and that very clearly he had found himself he could not tell how with his face pressed against the iron railings that closed the passage des panoramas clasping the bars in his hands he was not shaking them he was merely trying to see into the passage under the influence of an emotion with which his heart was bursting but he could distinguish nothing darkness reigned in the deserted gallery whilst the wind which entered by the rue saint-marc blew the dampness of a cellar into his face and a strange infatuation kept him there then awakening as though from a dream he was filled with surprise and asked himself what he was seeking at that hour pressed against those railings with such a force that the bars had left their marks upon his face and he resumed his tramp in despair his heart filled with a great sadness as if betrayed and alone for evermore in all that darkness day at length broke and to the winter night there succeeded that dull light which looks so melancholy on the muddy pavement of paris Muffat had returned into the large new roads that were being made around the scaffoldings of the new opera house soaked by the showers broken up by the heavy carts the chalky soil had become changed into a miry lake and without looking where he placed his feet he continued walking on slipping and with difficulty keeping his legs the awakening of paris the gangs of scavengers and the early groups of workmen brought him a fresh worry as the day advanced he was stared at with surprise with his wild appearance his muddy clothes and his hat soaked with the rain for a long time he sought refuge against the palings among the scaffolding in his empty head one idea alone remained which was that he was very miserable then his thoughts turned to god the sudden idea of divine assistance of a superhuman consolation surprised him like something extraordinary and unexpected it awakened in his mind the picture of monsieur Benot. he beheld his plump little person his decayed teeth for certain monsieur Benot, whom for months past he had been grieving by not going near him would be very happy were he now to knock at his door and weep on his breast at other times god had always been merciful to him at the least sorrow or the smallest obstacle encountered in life he would enter a church and kneeling would humble himself before the supreme being and he would come out fortified by prayer ready to enjoy the sweets of life with the sole desire for the salvation of his soul but now he could only pray by fits and starts just when a fear of hell seized upon him he had given way to a great indolence nana interfered with his duties and the thought of god surprised him why had he not thought of the almighty in the first instance during that frightful crisis in which his weak humanity succumbed then with feeble footsteps he sought a church he could remember nothing the early hours seemed to alter the streets 
as he turned the corner of the rue de la chasse d'antin however he caught sight of the church of the trinity in the distance its steeple seen very indistinctly in the fog the white statues overlooking the naked garden appeared like so many shining venuses among the faded yellow leaves of a park beneath the porch he paused a moment to take breath fatigued by the ascent of the high flight of steps then he entered the church was very cold the great stove having been extinguished the previous evening and the tall arches were filled with a fine mist which had filtered in through the apertures of the glass windows a shadow hung over the lower part not a soul was there beyond a beetle who in the midst of that semi-darkness dragged his feet over the stones in the sullenness of the awaking hour Mifa, after knocking up against a number of chairs feeling lost his heart fit to burst had fallen on his knees against the railings of a little side chapel close to a holy water font he had clasped his hands trying to find a prayer in which he could pour forth his very soul but his lips alone muttered words his mind was elsewhere outside following the streets without repose as though beneath the lash of some implacable necessity and he repeated o oh lord help me o oh god do not abandon your creature who abandons himself to your justice o oh merciful father i adore you will you let me perish beneath the blows of your enemies nothing seemed to answer the shadow and the cold hung about his shoulders the noise of the beetle walking in the distance continued and prevented him from praying he heard naught but that irritating sound in the deserted church which had not even then been swept nor had the early mass been performed then holding on to a chair he raised himself with a cracking of his knees god had not yet arrived why should he go and weep on m venot's breast that man could do nothing and he mechanically returned to nana's outside having slipped he felt tears come to his eyes not with anger against fate but simply because he felt weak and ill he was really too tired he had been out too long in the rain he felt the cold too much it froze him to think of going back to his dismal home in the rue miromenil at nana's the street door was not open he had to wait till the concierge appeared as he went upstairs he smiled already feeling the pleasant warmth of that nest where he would at length be able to stretch himself and sleep when zoe let him in she made a gesture of amazement and uneasiness madame having been seized by a violent headache hadn't closed her eyes all night however she would go and see whether she had fallen asleep or not and she glided into the bedroom whilst he sat down on a chair in the drawing-room but nana appeared almost instantly she had jumped out of bed scarcely taking time to put on a petticoat and entered with bare feet her hair hanging about her shoulders her night-dress rumpled and torn in the disorder of a night of love what you are here again cried she red with passion under the influence of her rage she was hastening to put him out herself but seeing him in such a state so utterly helpless she was once more moved to pity well you're in a nice mess my poor fellow she resumed in a more pleasant tone of voice what is the matter with you ah you've been watching them you've been having a time of it he said nothing he looked like a stunned ox yet she understood that he had not been able to obtain any proof as she added just to bring him to himself again you see i was mistaken your wife is all right on my word she is now my boy you must go home and get to bed you are in want of sleep he did not stir come be off i can't keep you here 
you don't i suppose want to stop at this time of day yes let us go to sleep he muttered she repressed a violent gesture she was fast losing patience was he going crazy come be off said she a second time no then thoroughly exasperated she broke out in revolt but it's disgusting understand me i've had a great deal too much of you go and find your wife who's making a cuckold of you yes she's making a cuckold of you it's i who tell you so now there have you got what you wanted will you leave me or not mifa's eyes filled with tears he clasped his hands let us go to sleep nana scarcely knew what she did choking as she was with nervous sobs it was too much did all these matters concern her she had certainly taken all possible precaution in telling him so as not to hurt his feelings and now she was to pay for the broken glass oh no if you please she was good-natured but not to that extent damnation i've had enough of it all swore she striking the furniture with her clenched fists ah well i who took so much care to keep faithful why my fine fellow i could be as rich as ever to-morrow if i only said a word he raised his head in surprise he had never given the money question a thought if she would express a desire he would gratify it at once his whole fortune was hers no it's too late replied she furiously i like the men who give without being asked no were you to offer me a million for one embrace i would refuse you it's all over i have something better there be off or i will no longer answer for myself i shall do something dreadful and she advanced towards him menacingly but in the midst of this exasperation of a kind-hearted girl pushed to extremes and convinced of her right and of her superiority over the worthy people who pestered her the door suddenly opened and steiner appeared this was the last straw she uttered a terrible cry hallo here's the other one now steiner bewildered by the noise of her voice stood still mifa's unexpected presence annoyed him for he was afraid of an explanation from which he had kept aloof for three months past blinking his eyes he twisted himself about in an uneasy sort of way and avoided looking at the count and he breathed hard with the red and distorted features of a man who has rushed about paris to bring some good news and who finds he has fallen into a catastrophe what do you want you eh asked nana roughly speaking familiarly to him in spite of the count's presence i i he stammered i have brought you you know what what's that he hesitated two days before she had told him not to show himself there again without bringing a thousand francs which she required to pay a bill for two days he had been seeking the money and he had just succeeded in completing the sum that very morning the thousand francs he ended by saying as he withdrew an envelope from his pocket nana had forgotten all about them the thousand francs cried she do i ask for charity look see what i do with your thousand francs and seizing the envelope she threw it in his face like a prudent jew he picked it up though painfully he glanced at the young woman in a stupefied fashion mifa exchanged a look of despair with him whilst nana placed her hands on her hips in order to shout the louder i say now have you nearly finished insulting me as for you my boy i'm glad you've also come for now look here i can have a clean sweep 
now then out you go then as they did not seem to hurry themselves but stood as though paralyzed she went on what you say i'm foolish that's possible but you've plagued me too much and drat it all i've had enough of a fashionable existence if i bust up it's my lookout one two you refuse to go well look here then i've got a friend with a sudden movement she threw the bedroom door wide open then the two men beheld fontan in the middle of the tumbled bed he had not expected to be exhibited thus with his dusky person spread out like a goat in the midst of the crumpled lace his legs showing under the flying tail of his nightshirt he was not however by any means embarrassed used as he was to the surprises of the stage after the first shock was over he was able to make a face which ensured him the honours of war he did the rabbit as he called it thrusting out his mouth curling his nose and moving all the muscles of his face at the same time his head resembling that of a libidinous fawn exuded vice through every pore it was fontan whom nana seized by that mad infatuation of women for the hideous grimaces of ugly comic actors had been fetching nightly for a week past from the variety theatre there said she pointing to him with a tragic gesture Mufa, who was prepared for almost anything indignantly resented the affront strumpet he stammered but nana already in the bedroom returned to have the last word strumpet indeed then what about your wife and turning on her heel she loudly banged the door after her and bolted it the two men left alone looked at each other in silence zoe then entered the room she did not hurry them off but talked very sensibly to them like a reasonable being she thought madame had behaved very foolishly however she took her part her mania for that wretched stroller wouldn't last long all they had to do was to wait till she had got over it they then withdrew they had not uttered a word outside on the pavement moved by a sort of fraternal feeling they silently shook hands and turning their backs on each other and dragging their legs along they went off in opposite directions when Mufa at length returned to his house in the rue miromesnil his wife had just arrived there they both met on the broad staircase the sombre walls of which diffused an icy chill around raising their eyes they beheld each other the count was still in his muddy clothes and his face had the frightful pallor of a man returning from a surfeit of vice the countess blear-eyed with her hair all dishevelled and looking thoroughly exhausted by a night passed in the train seemed scarcely able to keep awake End of chapter seven